Two weeks ago was a Reformation Sunday, and I had prepared a message to bring to you about the Reformation, and uh, I was unable to come to church that morning, so I called Brother Manuel, and he jumped right in and, and kind of took, uh, took up the theme of the need for revival and Reformation, and uh, the uh, theme or the motto of the Reformation was a little Latin phrase called post tenebras lux. And that means after darkness, light. After the darkness, there's light. And there had been a long, long period of darkness in the, in the church for really almost a thousand years before the Reformation came. And sometimes today, I know in our Sunday school class this morning, we all got a little bit discouraged, I think. We were talking about things that are happening in our nation, things that are happening in the world, and uh, it was just kind of a, almost a depressive spirit. I just want to stand against that today because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the true light, and light does overcome darkness. You never go into a room and turn on the dark. Because dark doesn't drive out light. You go in a room, a dark room, turn on the light, and the light drives out the darkness. And so the church, when it was originally established, we read about it in the book of Acts, it was a, it was a wonderful thing. Jesus talked about building his church and that the gates of hell would not be able to withstand it or, or, or overcome it. And then the... Uh, the early church, I love reading the book of Acts and read about the early church, and there were about three or four things that characterized that early church, and one of them was simplicity. There wasn't a bunch of hierarchical, uh, gobbledygook stuff. There wasn't a, a lot of, uh, 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 what am I trying to say, institutionalism and stuff like that. The people just came together, the church came together, and they, they just loved the Lord, and they loved one another. In fact, I think the, th- the three things that characterized the early church was simplicity. They didn't have a lot of, uh, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of here, uh, a lot of uh, expansive stuff. They didn't have nice buildings. They didn't have hierarchy. Uh, they didn't have, uh, uh, yeah, wasn't political. They just came together and they just sang and they studied the word. They would hear a message based many times on one of the Old Testament passages and then also new revelation coming from the apostles. And so simplicity characterized them. They just They just came together and... They, they didn't have an agenda as such. They just came together and loved the Lord and loved each other. So it was characterized by simplicity and it was characterized by purity. That is, they wanted people to, out of a sincere heart, love the Lord and love one another. And the Christians were noted for their simplicity, their purity, and their charity, their love for one another. One of the early early Christians uh, in the second generation, it was said how these Christians love one another. They just, uh, they, they, they didn't come together to try to put on a show. They didn't come together to uh, have a performance of any kind. They just had simple love for one another. So what happened? 
Well, the first 150, 180 years of the Christian movement, there was a lot of opposition, there was a lot of persecution, and, and yet, it, as someone said, the, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. And opposition and even persecution didn't destroy the early church. It grew and just expanded here, actually empire-wide. And in 180 years, it had uh, maintained to some degree its simplicity, its purity, and its charity. But in 312, the emperor of Rome uh, issued a decree making Christianity no longer illegal. And they made it legal, and so immediately, in fact, he even, his name was Constantine, and he ordered that people actually become Christians. Now, that's just not the way you do it, is it? You don't order people to become Christians. And so the church, all of a sudden, began to take on institutional form, began to take on a hierarchical form, and the bishops in the different places, they began to contend for power and before long, the church had been infected with a lot of superstition, a lot of paganism, and what persecution could not do, the assimilation did. And it brought about the beginning of what we call the Dark Ages. And so for about a thousand years, the church lost its simplicity, lost its purity, and lost its charity. And so the, the church was, uh, uh, became an institution. It became a religious system. And it kind of modeled itself after the Roman system. And so gradually, gradually, people began to become powerful in the church. And you had, uh, uh, before long, the, the, the bishop of Rome claimed ascendancy, and, and this is making a long story short, of course. Uh, uh, we had the first pope, and, and then under him, uh, uh, other cardinals and priests and so forth, and the church became an institution and a religion rather than just the simplicity of loving the Lord and loving one another. And so for a thousand years... That darkness just kind of kept the gospel hidden. In fact, uh, when in about 1492, about the time that Columbus sailed the ocean blue and came over to discover this land, a new pope was elected in Rome, and his name was Leo X, and he was... Uh, very powerful, come from a very, very powerful family of a lot of corruption and a lot of greed, a lot of uh, sensuality. The church had literally become almost an enemy of the gospel rather than a proclaimer of the gospel. And so uh, in 1517, um, an Augustinian monk named Martin Luther who had seen for the last 10 years of his life, had seen all this corruption coming into the church. He'd seen all of the greed and all of the lust and all of the pride and all of the power, fighting for power. And, uh, and he said, uh, 
I would like to have a, a public debate with some of the leaders of the church about the stuff that's going on that I, is just not biblical. And uh, he, on the, October the 31st, 1517, he went to the a door of the, of, the, of the church in Wittenberg, and he nailed up 97, I mean, it was a list of 97 things that he would like to have a debate about. And that was the beginning of what we call the Protestant Reformation. Now, a lot of other stuff happened, of course, but uh, uh, he, he did not really want to change the church. He just wanted to get back to the simplicity and the purity and the charity that was in the early church. And so uh, that's, uh, that's how the Protestant Reformation started. And it, it happened on the, the day before what's called All Saints Day. It was, uh, that was November the 1st. And that was the day that they honored the martyrs who had actually died for their faith in Christ. And so on on the, the on the thirty first, which we celebrate is uh, Halloween, the word actually means All Hallows Eve, and it has also, like everything else, has been corrupted. Uh, oh, I was just getting, I'm I'm just so weak. I'm not, I'd like, I'd like to sit down, but I don't. I'll see if this is going to work. Uh, I'm actually, I don't think very well when I'm sitting down. My mother always said that I had some kind of a turn-off switch on my bottom. and that <clears throat> Whenever I sat down, it turned my brain off. So I don't know. We'll see if that's going to work this morning. <laughs> yeah, I, told her I don't think that's where my brain was, but uh seemed to. Okay, y'all just uh, give me a second here. I'm a. Uh, almost forgot where I was now. And I was talking about the Reformation beginning, and then after the darkness came light. Now, Martin Luther was not perfect by any means. He, was, uh, he had a lot of things that he would have uh, uh, not fit in real well, sometimes probably in our churches today. But, but he did want to recover the gospel. And... As he began to study the Bible, especially the book of Romans, he came across a verse, and this is what I want to read to you, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The Apostle Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And as he read that, as he studied that passage of Scripture, he began to realize that somehow or another the church, the institutional church, had just gotten a lot of stuff wrong. And that the main thing they had lost was the gospel itself. And... Uh, and he said, the gospel is not uh, about the church. It's not about sacraments. It's not about baptism. It's not about uh, uh, 
belonging to the institution. It is believing that Jesus died for our sins and trusting in him. And so there was a lot of discussion, a lot of debate. In fact, fact, it's one of the most exciting times in history. If you want to get a good uh, uh, book and read it about that period of time. And uh, uh, out of all of that debate and out of all that uh, reformation, they came up with five things. He came up with five things that he said we must have these. We call them the five solas. And the first one was sola scriptura, that only the Bible determines what we believe. And uh, for a thousand years, rulings by councils and rulings by popes and ruling by bishops had, had gotten all jumbled up and mixed up. And Martin Luther said, no, it's not, it, salvation is not in the church Salvation is in Jesus and him alone. And he said, when he did finally debate some of the uh, leaders of the Roman Catholic Church, they would say, well, are you saying that the Pope has erred? Are you saying that the councils have erred? And he said, listen, unless you can show me in the scripture, then I will not believe it. I will not accept it. And so he started out with this idea that only the Bible, only the Bible is what we have to base our, our faith on and our, our belief on. That we can't base it on what churches, what uh, popes have said and what councils have said and what other leaders have said. Only in the scripture. So called sola scriptura. Only the Bible alone. And uh, to me that seems like a no-brainer, you know. Uh, but the truth is, most people today are having a, a lowered regard for the Bible as the Word of God. And uh, uh, that's what had happened in Martin Luther's day. People didn't even have the Bible. They didn't have the Bible to read like you and I do. And they had to just uh, go by what they were told. And uh, the leaders in the church would tell them what to believe, and they just believe it. And they believe somehow or another that by good works and by religious practices, you would earn your way into heaven. And so Martin Luther stood against that. He said, sola scriptura, and then he said, uh, sola uh, gracia. It's all by grace, and it's by grace alone. And uh, he said, there's no way that we can work our way into heaven. There's no way that by religious activity and by good works that we can 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 earn a star from from God. And uh, so it's only by grace, only by faith, only by scripture and only by faith. He said it is faith alone, faith alone. And and he took these passages in Romans in fact, it's always, I think just about every great church revival has grown as people studied the book of Romans because it emphasizes that it is only by grace, only by faith, and it's only through Christ. And then it's only for the glory of God. So those were the five solas, uh, scripture alone, faith alone, 
grace alone, Christ alone, and to the glory of God alone. And it was the only that really caused the, the uh, reaction to him. It was the, because the Catholic Church believed in, in Scripture, but they just didn't believe that Scripture alone. They believed in grace, but their definition of it, and, and, but they didn't believe in grace alone. And so when Paul says here, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's imperative that we know what the gospel is. Because if, it, if the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, then it is absolutely essential that we know what the gospel is. And the gospel is not try harder, do more, be religious, go to church. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that all of us have sinned, we've fallen short of the glory of God, but God has sent his son to pay our price and to die in our place and to be raised from the dead victoriously and that if we trust in him, we will be justified. We will be saved. So, uh, well, I had a lot more I wanted to say about this <laughs> this morning, but I'm just having trouble getting my mind to working today. And uh, I don't know if it helps to stand up or not, but uh, my mother would say if this is part of the problem, I guess I'm sitting down. But uh, here, here's what I was hoping to appeal for this morning, is that, uh, that we will remember that true light is from the Word of God. And that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what we must earnestly contend for. And uh, if you were to ask most people in America today if they believe in God, most of them would say yes. They might be a God of their own creation. And then if you were to ask them, do they believe that Jesus lived a good life and everything, died on a cross, most Americans, at least over half, would say yes. But if you were to ask them, well, what do you, what do you, how do you go to heaven? Most Americans would give some kind of an answer along the line of, well, you have to obey the Ten Commandments, you have to go to church, you have to be baptized, you have to do good works. And to that, the Apostle Paul and Martin Luther and Nick Harris, for whatever that's worth, would say, all those things are, are okay, but none of them will make you right with God. The gospel is that Jesus Christ alone will, uh, will, will justify us. And it's by faith in him. It's by grace, through, uh, through grace alone, that, uh, that we're justified. So, well, I really had a... If I could have preached this sermon two weeks ago, it would have been a lot better. <clears throat> but... Uh, I'm just going to need to ask you all to just kind of uh, maybe pray for me this afternoon. I'm just, uh, I'm just not feeling real well right now. So uh, uh, anybody have something you want to add to what I've said today? Well, you know, I, I do think that uh, I think this, the battle today is for the recovery of the gospel. It's for the recovery of Scripture alone. And, uh, and it's a recovery of the gospel. And that's what happened in the Protestant Reformation. And uh, 
uh, all of the all of the money making scheme, all of the uh, hierarchy and everything like that had become an enemy of the gospel. It had it had put it had actually shut the door on people coming to know Jesus. And I would love to see us just get back to the simplicity and the purity and the charity that characterized the early church. Amen. All right. Well, y'all are going to get out early. I told somebody I didn't get to preach the last two Sundays. Y'all are probably here three hours today. But I guess the Lord said, uh, no, <clears throat> you're going to let them out a little early today. So let, let's, let's just uh, pray. If you just... Heavenly Father, we just come to you knowing that it's not by our work, it's not by our strength, it's not by our might, but it is by your spirit and by your word. And I pray today that you'll help us to be zealous and even jealous for the truth. And uh, while our, our whole culture seems to be drowning in immorality and idolatry and uh, a rejection of the gospel. Help us to be truth speakers. Help us to be gospel proclaimers so that people will know that after darkness can come light and that in that light we see the glory of our Heavenly Father and the, satisf- the, the sufficient sacrifice of our Savior and the power of the Spirit of God. And I ask that you help us see that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wanted to say this because a couple of things. Uh, he did an outstanding job of talking about the Reformation. And a lot of us uh, may not have studied the Scripture and understand them in the and what I think is uh, uh, the correct order, too. You know, there's seven churches in the book of Revelation it talks about, okay? Those seven churches represent time frames, I believe. They represent time frames as well as how the church uh, migrates through time. And we're at a point in time, like he talked about the Reformation, the last church the Bible talks about is the church at Laodicea. Now, the word of the Laodicea stands for something that most of us don't. It means people ruling. In other words, God is not ruling in the church anymore. He's, he's, and we're talking about the church here on earth. We're not talking about church in heaven, okay? So there's a lot of people today that go to all kinds of churches, and they don't teach the gospel. Uh, matter of fact, they're, they're turning everything around. As, as you well know, a lot of the denominations today are splitting up because of various reasons. But the point I wanted to bring out is we're, we're fighting a battle today, and we need to stand on the Word of God. It is immutable. It can't be changed. It was forever settled in heaven. And I, and I wanted to say that because the pastor, the pastor puts a whole lot of time into, and he has a fantastic memory. I can't memorize half the things he does. But I know he wants to get up here, and uh, he... he uh, he feels committed to do this because he loves the Lord and he loves his congregation. So I want you to do that. But I came up here not so much to say that, but what I wanted to do is come up, bring him up. I want him to sit there. As a matter of fact, he don't have to stand up again. And I want us to pray over him, okay? And if you would extend, if you want to come up here and join with me, that's fine. Or if you just want to 
maybe raise your hand and lift it towards you and point it towards him. That'll be fine. But I want us just to, to pray for him and Carol. I'm telling you, I've been around a lot of preachers. And uh, he is a, he's a great preacher. He loves the Lord. And he loves you folks that are here. So let us give thanks to the Lord. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, with grateful hearts. Thankful for all the things that Pastor Nick and Carol and the family do together. We thank you, Lord. There's a love abiding here in our fellowship that only you can provide, Father. And let us raise that banner to others that are around. They might know that we're here standing for truth. And I ask for the pastors on the pastor's behalf, Lord. You would heal him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, make him whole and complete, make him be filled with his, your joy. But let him go home, Father, and get rest right now, Father, for like he, like he says, he's not the kind of person that likes to sit around, but he needs to do that, Father. And we just ask you to touch him and Carol in a magnificent way. They've been here. They commit themselves every Sunday and every day of the week, and he uh, has more energy than the Energizer Bunny, Father. He loves you, Lord, and I know you give him that strength, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. So I ask you now to fill him full of your spirit, fill him full of your peace and your kindness, and give him comfort that only you can do. Father, we give you thanks in the name of, the mighty name of Jesus, we pray these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.